Welcome to Music in the Church with Sarah Bariza, a monthly podcast about thinking bigger in our faith, our ministries, and our churches. I'm Dr. Sarah Bariza, a writer and musician, and today I am delighted to have my dear friend and erstwhile co-host Crawford Wiley with me. Hey, Sarah. Today we are talking about hymnals, specifically our favorite hymnals, and what makes those hymnals our favorites. So Crawford, why don't you start out? What is one of your favorite hymnals? Yeah, so one of my very favorite hymnals that I would love to talk about is one that I first encountered when you and I were at the Christian Congregational Music Conference in Ooh, yeah. uh, Cudston. What year was that? Was that 2015, I think, the first year? I don't know. We've um, been 2015, 2017, and 2019. So yeah, so that would be 2015. By so we were, Yeah, we were uh, attending services at Christ Church in Oxford. And the hymnal there had this kind of striking modern cover, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. It's a kind of thick little book. And paging through it, it's called Common Praise. I should give the title. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was published in 2000. It is the latest imprint of Hymns Ancient and Modern, for anyone who's familiar with that in all of its iterations. So pretty standard Hymns Ancient and Modern format. You've got four-part or depending on which hymnal you've bought, just the melody line, on one page, and then opposite or underneath it, the block of text. So that's a pretty common feature in hymns ancient and modern, and in a lot of hymnals, um, particularly in the UK. Uh, yeah, I'm wondering, is this a, a UK kind of thing? Because I have n- not seen that in any American hymnals for congregational use, uh, in any recent version. Yeah, I think that having the text interleaved between the staves of the music is a really common American thing. I think this is also, by the way, why we kind of get used to the idea of hymn texts generally being about four stanzas, because four stanzas is about as many stanzas as you can interleave between Mm, treble and bass clef Uh before it's too unwieldy, and then Mm -hmm. you have to shove them to the bottom and no one sings them. Yeah, once you have five, it's hard to read the one in the middle and sing the alto liner, whatever. Yeah, interesting side effect of that. Yeah, so one of the things that struck me about Common Praise was, first off, it has a lot of hymns. Let me go all the way to the back here and see just how many we're talking about. Um, It has 628 hymns, which, for a hymnal that is not difficult to hold, is kind of a lot of hymns. But this is like, as I as I recall, it's a pretty, it's like a really chunky book, and the and the paper is on the thin side. Yeah, it's very satisfying to hold. It's got a nice little heft to it, but it's mm-hmm. not awkward at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, this is the edition that has the four-part harmonizations for the music. Mm-hmm. One of the things that the editors did was kind of two priorities that I wish were done more frequently in hymnals, actually, so we can talk about this. They included a lot of new tunes and new texts, not just new texts set to old tunes. Mm-hmm. So instead of yeah. like the 13 different texts set to Hifferdal that you encounter in some modern hymnals, you're going to get a new tune for those newer texts mm-hmm. or an old tune, but that we haven't sung in a while. You know, so it's, mm-hmm. it's not just setting newer takes on texts to old tunes. And I'm guessing these are pretty decent tunes that are in the sense of being singable because sometimes you get tunes where i'm like huh that's a lot of syncopation for uh, your average choir oh right no these are these are really singable tunes um some of them you've probably heard before then there's 
And some of these newer tunes are also from like the the just previous edition of Hymns Ancient and Modern, which never really mm. caught on. Mm-hmm. Um, but the hymns themselves are pretty good. Another thing that they did is is having included lots of newer texts, they kind of freed themselves up to not over-edit old texts. So there's oh, some nice. areas where they were able to make a silent emendation um, to be more inclusive, you know, where, where you don't really affect the line of poetry at all. You don't have to come up with a new rhyme, mm-hmm. um, and you can yeah, just silently yeah. amend that. And they did that in those cases, um, which is pretty sensitive. But generally, they, they, they acknowledged that the hymn texts were popular for good reason, and part of that is their own quality. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. when you start hacking away at a good hymn text, like you're you're actually hacking away at a piece of poetry. Like I, I can't think of any other situation in which we would think that was going to produce a good result. And so the result is that as you're singing these hymn texts, you're like, oh, it's so nice to sing the words that I was already kind of familiar with and not have to keep looking down at the hymnal every line to see which word has been changed and, oh, there's a new rhyme at the end of the second stanza, so it throws everything mm. off. Yeah. So I think I think that was a piece of part smart planning on their part was mm. to to write, to include lots of new hymnody instead of just rewriting old hymnody. Um because this way you get the best of both. You get the hymns that everyone knows and loves. And I guess that's something that we'd like to talk about is kind of one of the things that makes people love a hymnal is just that it includes their favorite hymns. So you get those and you get the new hymns instead of just a lot of new texts written to old tunes or old texts kind of uh, hashed about. So this is reminding me of actually two of my favorite hymnals. I really like Evangelical Lutheran Worship, and it's from 2006 um, from the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. It is the Cranberry Hymnal, I think I've heard it called. Um, And I like the Purple Hymnal. I love how we do this by colors. There is uh, Glory to God, the Presbyterian Hymnal. It's from 2013, and it's from the PCUSA Presbyterian Church in the United States of America. Sure, yes. Nomination. And both of these, I think, do a very good job of updating text without being unduly clunky. I am um, in Christmases these days. I have to be careful that I'm not using the text from the hymnal because the hymnal that I have won't even refer to Jesus by a masculine pronoun. And um, you know what, people, which just people, gets you into all sorts of poetic binds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it, it makes it really hard for Christmas texts that people know really well from, uh, you know, pop radio. And it's like, yeah, no, we, we're not singing this out of the hymnal. But these these two uh, hymnals do that really well. Other things I like about both of them is that they include new music that is very singable. And I think that I I tend to use these hymnals. Actually, I'm ordering ordering copies for myself right now. I've used them like regularly. I've been a musician in both of these denominations. So I've had them in the church. This was the congregation's hymnal, but I'm ordering them. I work in a congregationalist church now and I'm buying buying these hymnals for my own my own use. And what I like about them is that they're like a curated curated collection of more recent hymnody. And for me as not a Lutheran, they're also a curated collection of like the Lutheran crowds that are still in current use that we could still sing that my other mainline denomination congregation might be able to sing, might enjoy incorporating into their worship. Um, The other thing I really like specifically for Glory to God, the Presbyterian hymnal, is that they have an excellent set of PowerPoints and uh, other digital resources 
that are affordable and useful. And I know, I know we, uh, Crawford, you and I have recorded before about hymnals and screens and man, people, people, yeah, in which is one worship. Of our, a really good episode too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. We'll, we'll, we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, it's from this past summer. And, you know, people really get upset about screens and such because, oh, you can't have the music. And I'm always like, well, you know, Glory to God has excellent sets of music that you can put on your PowerPoint. So you can sing with the notation as well as the text. Um, and it kind of alleviates that one concern that people have with screens, which is that I want to sing the tenor part or what have you. Right, and, right, right. Mm-hmm, and they do it because because the denomination has put it all together. It saves a ton of time for the musician who's organizing all this or the pastor or the secretary. It's all there. I, right now, I, I don't have screens in the church where I work, but I am, am in the process of building basically a database of the hymns that we sing in notation that I can plop into the into the bulletin because we we aren't always singing stuff out of the hymnal and man that's a lot of work for me and you know that's fine I, I work there full time like that's you know that's fine this is part of my job I think it's important but you know for someone who's in in a PCUSA church who can just you know plunk down some money and have it all there for them you know in a reasonably affordable and really useful way you know lucky, lucky them. Oh, no, that's a huge advantage. Yeah, as someone who also spends a fair amount of time text-setting different mm-hmm. hymns that aren't in mm-hmm. our hymnal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's not to say I'm, I'm sure that – I'm sure people in those denominations occasionally want to bring in other hymnal, uh, hymns or something, you know, and that, that's fine. Oh, sure, but you're just yeah. pointing out that this is, this is a really good resource for them. Yeah, Which I yeah. think brings us to something else. I don't know if you wanted to introduce this yet, but like we were talking about before we started recording – a lot of our personal use of these hymnals has nothing to do with whether or not we would order them for a congregation. I mean, mm-hmm. as you as yeah. you've said before, and as we've both said on previous shows, like actually, PowerPoint slides are kind of great in area in churches that are okay with using them. Um, mm-hmm. Which means either between that or printing off orders of worship every week. I wouldn't necessarily even buy a hymnal for a church that I mm-hmm. worked at. Actually, my my understanding, and I could be wrong on this, but my understanding is that Glory to God, the Presbyterian hymnal, is designed to be basically the last hymnal of the PCUSA church because we live in an age where there's a lot of new music cr- created. Many people want to sing something that's really recent. And hymnals are, you know, they can be really useful. And I think that they can be really great uh, devotionally. But individual churches are not going to sing all 700 texts from the hymnal. So in, in a way, each church at this point creates its own hymnal out of this yeah, corpus yeah. of things that they can draw on. And so when I think of, like, say, you know, how am I using evangelical Lutheran worship? How am I using glory to God? Or maybe how are you using common praise? I'm using this as like a really tightly curated collection of music for me as the minister of music to be familiar with and think, oh, would this work in my specific congregation's text? Do I want to add it to our little hymnal? Yes. Yeah. Like with licensing and stuff, you can reproduce those mm-hmm. um, if you give yeah. credit. Yep. And yeah, then- one license. It's great. Yes. Oh, goodness. Another thing, just like varied uses that these hymnals have, is you can use them to draw very simple four-part anthems for your choir. You know, if you think, oh, we're kind of having you know, in between larger seasons, maybe just have the choir sing some unfamiliar four-part hymns mm-hmm. as the anthem. Yeah. These can be a great resource for that. Or also, and I would a shout out to Common Praise again, where the text is presented on a separate page, 
these are honestly really nice devotional aids. And I mm. don't mind saying that. They're, you don't have to kind of sing along to the music on your own if you don't even want to. You can just read the poetry. Some of the poetry is yeah, really, really yeah. good poetry. And, and, and we would we would hope that all hymnody would be like that, and it certainly isn't. But oh, it's, it's definitely not. So, <laughs> But some – okay, so this – I know we're jumping over some of your favorites, but oh, I want to jump into one of my favorites. Um, my yes. other favorite is the hymnal 1982, which is from the Episcopal Church in America, and it's one of their authorized hymnals. And I came to the hymnal 1982 as a devotional aid. I wasn't using it in a church. I was, um, I think I was given a copy and I was just entranced by these hymns with excellent texts that I loved. I'm thinking specifically of My Shepherd Will Supply My Need. That's not a hymn that I knew gro- growing up um, to the tune Resignation, the Isaac Watts text. And, um, you know, it's the setting of Psalm 23. And I'm also thinking of, I think it's a George Herbert... King of Glory, King of Peace. Oh yes, yes. yeah, yeah, is yeah, which is one of my favorites. Oh, oh, and yes, just, it and is. That, and that was I memorized them out of the hymnal. This, these were not hymns I was familiar with, but you know, nerd, nerdy kid who loves music, I, I memorized these and I would sing them in the car devotionally. So, so there's hymnal 1982. I think some other amazing things about hymnal 1982. I think I'm not the only person saying this is one of my favorite hymnals. It's really, really well laid out, and the part writing is excellent, especially for organists. So I I actually keep a copy of Hymnal 1982, if not at my organ console, then in my little bookcase that I have in a, a closet off the sanctuary, so that I can play the part writing out of Hymnal 1982, because it's really good. Because sometimes I'm like, you know, maybe it's a copyright thing in, in some hymnals where I'm just like, that's really not, not very good part writing, y'all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and no. so I just do it out of Hymnal 1982. But it's also just a great collection of of music. Yeah, it is. Uh, The other favorite hymnal that I wanted to talk about just briefly is actually the United Methodist hymnal. Um, Mm. I don't know if you've had the occasion to play out of it, but I've been the Mm. organist at a few Methodist churches. (laughs) Crawford, I I went to Duke University. (laughs) Oh, of course. Well, you're really familiar with this (laughs) hymnal then. Yes. Uh, for, for for listeners who don't know, uh, Duke Duke is a Methodist uh, affiliated university, and I was the um, accompanist for one of their uh, choirs. So anytime I played for a service, I was playing out of. Out it's of easy to forget hymnal. that Duke Chapel is Methodist, though. To yeah, be fair, well, it's, it's know, pretty so. non-denom, but you know that it's a Methodist hymnal. Yeah, well, then you're really familiar with this, then. Um, but for any of the any of the listeners who might not be familiar with it, I'll just go ahead and get out of the way. It's it's one flaw, which is that it is very edited. So a lot of the hymn texts, I I would say that it's it's one flaw. Like classic hymn texts have been changed around a bit, and sometimes that's a little bit confusing. Um, but that that flaw aside, there are so many hymn texts. I think. It's printed on very thin paper, and it might have more hymns than any other major hymnal. I would really? have to check on that, but it's it's just shocking. By the time you get to the end, I forget how many numbers you're in, but it's just like incredible that you could fit so many hymns in such a little book. And that also mm-hmm. has to do with the layout of it. It's somehow very easy to read. The text is printed clearly. Um, the The music is very easy to read, and it includes... Oh gosh, just about everything. I mean, you have 
all of your kind of Southern American evangelical favorites. You've got tons of Lutheran chorales. Obviously, you get more Wesley than you're going to get in any other hymnal. Yeah, I, I thought you were going to say it's one flaw is that it's a uh, you know I don't know ninety percent Wesley, which isn't necessary. Oh flaw. no! Oh, I wish it were. I wish it were ninety percent Wesley. No, it's not. Unfortunately, um, but it's still a lot of Wesley. No, 90% Wesley would be good. That would be a fine hymnal. Mm -hmm. Um, I would buy that. If anyone is listening and decides to make a hymnal that is 90% Charles Wesley, you have your audience right here. I will will buy that Send it to Crawford for Christmas. (laughs) Yeah, please. But no, I really love the United Methodist hymnal. And another thing about it is that anyone familiar with denominational hymnals knows that most of them have a variety of indexes in the back. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So under under you know kind of themes that you might want to look up a hymn under, and to be honest, some of these indices, I go through them and I think, who who came up with this? I mean, no offense to anyone who spent a lot of time <laughs> working on it, but I just think this does not reflect anyone's use of a hymnal that I know at all. Um, I remember going through a major Roman Catholic hymnal recently, and there was no section for Mary, and I was like, what? Who do you think uses this hymnal? Like, you have Marian hymns in here. Catholics are literally the ones using this hymnal. Why would you not provide an index for the hymns to Mary? Good grief. That's terrible. Um, but the UMC hymnal has wonderful indexes. Um, just about any word that you could think of that you're like, oh, the gospel passage today is dealing with thus and such topic. I wonder what hymns deal with that. Um, It has fantastic indexes for that. And also the scripture index is really good, which I guess you'd expect from a Methodist hymnal because so many of Wesley's hymns paraphrase scripture. Mm -hmm. And this this hymnal actually looks at that. Um, So you get really fantastic scriptural references as well. So just anyone who's making a hymnal from scratch, you know, if you if you want to kind of model what you're doing off of the UMC model, you could do worse. But also, since we talked about hymnals being really useful as resources for us, and since the UMC hymnal has so many hymns, in some ways it's almost encyclopedic, um, you can use it, its index, as a resource for locating hymns that you might use from another hymnal. This is this is actually one reason that I like to, you know, I have a set of hymnals on my desk when I'm picking out hymns uh, for my congregation, and I'm frequently choosing hymns that are actually in their hymnal, but the indices are terrible. I think that, like, the scripture section is, like, you know, three pages long. It's it's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And, then, and you think, okay, and, you've yeah, clearly not done your work. No, no, it's it's really it's really lame. So I, I often go on hymnary and search for topics there or search for scripture there. Mm-hmm. Although, honestly, that's that's um it's a wonderful resource, but it's so much that it can be overwhelming. I'm like, I did not need nine hundred responses for this. Oh my goodness. You know? But using using, say, the scriptural index or the topic index of the Methodist hymnal or one of one of my other favorites is just a really great way to find something that I already know. I just can't think of it. You know, it's like, oh, I have this this theme, this scripture passage, you know, and then and then I realize, oh, oh, this is this one fits perfectly. And I, and I knew the hymnal right. already. I just needed something to jog my memory, something to help me make that connection, which is what those indices are for. Yeah, exactly. Yes, I, I could not agree more. Um, and especially, like if you've worked in one denomination and only one denomination for years and years and years, 
it's fair. You might have your denomination's hymnal kind of memorized backwards and forwards, but if you're searching for material from other hymnals as well, an index like this is going to be invaluable. And sometimes it's, it's um, you know, denominations, uh, you know, you print a new hymnal and some of the hymns are lost, or you have multiple hymnals within a denomination. I'm thinking of, for instance, in the Episcopal Church, yeah, there's hymnal 1982, but there's also Lift Every Voice and Sing. Um, I think there's, uh, is it in Wonder and Praise? Um, and so, you know, you can reach out to other other sources and bring, bring things into the into your particular congregation. Oh, sure. And I think something worth pointing out, like, given how quickly hymns can become beloved, it's surprising how many already popular hymns haven't made it into or didn't make it into older hymnals. I remember recently I was looking for the the tune and text, How Shall I Sing That Majesty? The tune is, I think, Co-Fen or something like that. And I looked in the hymnal 1982, which I guess I had assumed would have this, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. It's oh. it was not in that hymnal. Um, and I, by the way, I was able to find it in Common Praise. Oh, so well, there you again, go. Again, a shout out to my favorite hymnal. <gasps> but yeah, so even things that you might think, oh yeah, surely this is in my hymnal. You you might want to look outside that hymnal, which is mm-hmm. why it's good mm-hmm. to have. I don't know how many hymnals would you say that you regularly keep on your desk when you're planning. Ooh, ooh, I um, six maybe, but I also have. Yeah, that sounds about I also right. have my desktop browser open to hymnary while I'm planning, and and actually, like, not to not to completely derail into planning software, but I keep a spreadsheet of a subset of hymns that I want to prioritize in our congregational singing because you know, the church where I work, we sing three or four hymns a Sunday. That's fifty-two Sundays a year. That's not actually a lot of music. And 700 hymns in a hymnal is way too much. Uh, like, literally, it's just too much music. The congregation is never going to, like, be comfortable with that amount of repertoire, even accounting for duplicated tunes. And so I am very conscious of keeping the number that we sing smaller than that. I mean, it's not as small as... Oh, yeah, definitely. I know people who do contemporary services where they're like, we have 40 songs on rotation. We have 35 songs on rotation. We have 70 songs on rotation. I don't think that's Plus bad Christmas. at all. Like, you yeah. only learn stuff by heart by repeating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Crawford, you and I grew up in traditions where we were in church three times a week or more. And so, of you know... Yeah, and we course, sang the hymns at home, too. Yeah. So. so, of course, we knew hundreds and hundreds of hymns. But if you're in a church where people are there every other week, every three weeks, you know, every four weeks, and they sing three hymns, like, that's not a lot of music. And, you know... No, so if you want to give people the gift of having hymnody inside them, yeah, you mm, have to repeat stuff a lot and be intentional about that. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And so so when I'm thinking about like using other hymnals and and planning, like, yeah, I've got these other hymnals. And and yes, 100%, sometimes I do. There's something that's really specific to the text. that's really perfect. And I bring it in. It's not a very familiar song. And, you know, that's fine. Um, Maybe it'd be better if the choir sang it than if the congregation did. But by and large, I try to pick things from my list of like, you know, 150 songs rather than from the whole hymnal because it's too much for my particular setting. So what so what I'm planning is what I'm saying is I'm often just looking at my repertoire list that I've already already selected for myself out of out of the hymnal. Yes, which makes a lot of sense. Which I think is kind of what you do also like you don't do you even have a hymnal where you work? Yes, yeah, we have an older copy of Ritual Song, so not and- the new edition that has come out. Um, and we keep them in the pews, and I'll provide 
the numbers for like the psalm that is being sung. So if people uh-huh. want to follow along in the hymnals text-wise, um, they can do that. But you actually have a much more tightly edited amount of hymns that you do, right? Yes. Yeah. We. I don't actually know what the number would be, but it's it's a fairly limited number of hymns that we sing mm-hmm. so that people are familiar with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, oftentimes it's yeah, like hopefully. a limited number plus Christmas. You know. Like, yeah, or other things. I, I felt kind of guilty this year. I really, for years, I've wanted to introduce How Brightly Shines the Morning Star because oh, I think it's, so it's nice. just yeah. one of the most oh, beautiful it's, it's hymns. Great. I love yeah, it. Great. And we sang it last week and we're going to sing it this week. But that's really all that it works for if you're a liturgical church. Like, mm-hmm. it's very yeah, much yeah. an epiphany hymn. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or you think of something like All Glory, Laud, and Honor, which mm-hmm. is a fantastic hymn. But I think... We'll be doing it, this will be our fifth year to sing it on Palm Sunday, and I think it's only this year that people will start to feel familiar with it, because you can't sing that any other Sunday of the year, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah. yeah, it's really, those kinds, they're tricky, and yet, okay, like with Christmas music, and I think also Easter music, yes, we sing, you know, Jesus Christ is risen today, Christ the Lord is risen today, what, however you sing it in your congregation. Yeah, we sing that once a year, but people really know that one. And maybe it's because if you're going to go to church, you're going to go on Easter, you're going to go on Christmas. And so you tend to know those particular ones. Maybe less so of right. God and honor because you aren't. Although, I mean, kids, kids are taken to Palm Sunday services, right? Um, yes. Oh, definitely. So... Especially if you have a processional with palm leaves. Mm-hmm. No, I think this yeah, is something yeah. interesting about hymnals also, as we were talking about earlier, is that some of them are so unwieldy large precisely because they don't weed out those one-use hymns. And so in some hymnals, you have a Christmas section so long that you'd think that Christmas was the longest season of the church year, you know, mm-hmm. when, yeah. in fact, you probably sing fewer Christmas hymns than just about anything else. Although, I mean, I I did a, a Christmas carol sing uh, the Sunday after Christmas, because uh, I, I work in a less liturgical congregation. We don't uh, See, that is fantastic, yeah. Oh, it was so much fun. We sang like 20 hymns, plus we wish you a Merry Christmas. It was great. That's a really great idea. Because we were singing so many, I didn't have a problem doing one or two stanzas of something that people don't know as well, like Twas in the Moon of Wintertime, because, hey, we're singing 20 of them. We're going to get to Joy to the World. We can also Sure, sing. yeah. So you'll you get to like, like a hymn that everyone- Some people would really know it, and you could hear those people singing out, and then- and Yeah, some people are and just it like exposes other and people okay. to it. Yeah, and it's okay. Oh, we, we've kind of gotten far afield. So we've talked about... I think we have, yes. We've talked about common praise. We've talked about the Methodist hymnal, the Presbyterian, the Lutheran hymnals, um, and ni- hymnal 1982. Any final hymnal thoughts? Yeah, so like circling back to those original, <laughs> original hymnal ideas, I think... Do we want to just say one or two things about what what makes these hymnals in particular so special? Because I think that we probably love these hymnals in some way. And it's not just, oh, objectively, they're good hymnals. Like, why Why would, because we're talking about using these as resources, so I kind of feel like I'm trying to convince someone that they should go out and buy their own personal copy of Common Praise and mm. the UMC well, hymnal. And I think you're actually going to go do get that. Common yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I have the Methodist hymnal. Yeah. So I guess what I want to say about Common Praise, that's the one that I'll really pitch, mm-hmm. is it's such a beautiful little book, and I find myself carrying it all sorts of places just to have with me because it's so full of really good texts, um, texts that are very familiar and already a part of me, and texts that I didn't know before I bought this hymnal. 
And I remember one episode we talked about Morning Glory Starlit Sky. Oh, that's so which good. We're going to sing I that discovered this in this hymnal. Yeah. Um, just such beautiful hymns and a really good wealth of four-part harmonizations. So I use it all the time in playing services. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful resource. It's a beautiful book just to have for your own personal use. And you'll find yourself using it a fair amount in church as well. Mm. Well, I'll finish out with a plug for Glory to God, the Presbyterian hymnal, um, which is not, I, I, maybe you could use it devotionally. I'm not sure I haven't. But I think that if you are in a traditional service setting or a blended worship setting, and you like me are like, hey, I want to bring in some music that's a little bit more recent. I want to introduce something that is going to work with my organ, piano, choir-based kind of service. Glory to God is a really great resource for that kind of music where it's recent, it's quote-unquote contemporary, but it works in a traditional kind of service. And it's just a curated resource for learning new hymns that could work for your congregation. I think you've sold me. I'm going to buy it. Mm-hmm. It's good. Well, that's it for this episode of Music and the Church with Sarah Brisa. I hope you've enjoyed this. You can find our show notes at musicandthechurch.com slash 46, where you can also find lots of resources for church staff and musicians, as well as a transcript of this episode. If you'd like to get in touch, send me an email at musicandthechurch at gmail.com. I'll be back next month with another episode of Music and the Church with Sarah Brisa. <laughs>